0: Good morning, Metalark. I don't know if you've had that moment. I love Nathan's thoughts this morning. Uh, he didn't leave any nasty tissues up here for me, but I'm going to need some. But um, I loved his thoughts uh, this morning. Uh, and so many of them, I had to delete parts of my notes because he said stuff that I wanted to say, but he said it better. Um, my favorite Easter, uh, and Easter is a super special um, day for me um, and I used to be one of these like little church nerds, I still am, but I used to be one of these guys who was like, you shouldn't celebrate it, it's Ishtar, that's a foreign god, you know, it's all true, I get that. But celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what the bedrock of the entire church is. This is who we are. Without it, it's not another doctrine, it's not another thing, it's everything. It's the one thing that means, um, it's why we sing, man. it's why we celebrate, it's why we celebrate life. Uh, seventeen years ago, I had um, the greatest Easter service of my life, um, and it was um, um, will it probably be the greatest worship service I've ever I'll ever go to. Um, it starts in a dark place, and so I'm going to begin in a dark place. But uh, just a little over seventeen years ago, um, a man came to my door. It was a young man that I'd been really working with, really working with, getting his life off drugs, getting him out of a really rough. Uh, life on the streets. And he came to my house really late at night and just knocked on my door, and all he did is he walked in the front door, and Melinda was like, who is this? And he just hugged me. And he said, Jeff, I just want to let you know I'm celebrating with you. I want you to pray over me. Um, I'm sober. I've cleaned up my life, and I'm giving my life back to God. And he was celebrating. It was kind of like you were watching in the video, this celebration. And almost exactly one week later, On a Sunday morning, I got a phone call while I was getting ready from church. Kyle was in a car accident this morning, and you need to come to the hospital. And I was trying to get substitutes for my classes so I could miss church and go to the hospital and be with him. And he died while I was still on the phone. And it was um, a very dark place in my life um, because of how much I loved that young man. And went through what we have gone through together several times as a congregation, as a body. I went through understanding what it's like to live in the shadow of death. Whether it's your own le- death because if it's a cancer diagnosis or something like that, or if it's, it's the death of your mom, your dad, someone close to you, a close friend, and you feel like you're, it's not just impacted you, but you're living in the shadow of it. You're living in a dark place because you can't escape This pain. Um, On Easter morning that year, his mom, Martha, called me and said, I want to have a service um, tomorrow morning before church. Would you, and she had a handful of people, I'd say there might have been seven or eight of us, would you meet us um, at the cemetery? Before the sun came up, it was dark. We went to a cemetery in the cold and in the dark and stood by a grave on Easter morning. And I will never forget those moments. The most beautiful sunrise. And she played this song. And we just stood there. She knew that nobody would be able to sing, right? So we just played music. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. Um, And she played that song. I haven't seen the movie yet, but everybody says it's really good, but I will never forget that service as long as I live, feeling the warmth of the sun on your face and feeling like you're coming out of the shadow of death and just feeling like God is doing so much and feeling like the resurrection is becoming a reality to you. When you watch that video, you saw people where they got the the text messages. It's like they got excited. It's like it hits you. This is what it means. This is what it's, it's, it's about. And so many of us have experienced that together where you... Get it. And it gets in your heart and you're like, I, I, I see what you're saying. For the disciples, I've never really understood all of the resurrection accounts. There's one, there's so many mysteries. But the first mystery is this. How is it that throughout the gospel, and I mean over and over, somewhere between at least five and ten times, Jesus says, I am going to die, be buried, and I will rise on the third day. He tells his disciples that. Over and over, he says that. He calls it the sign of Jonah. He calls it the temple. Destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. He even says it d- directly. In fact, the scribes and the Pharisees, they say this in Matthew. and says, man, he said he was going to be raised on the third day. That's why they put a seal on the tomb. That's why they set a guard over the tomb. That's why they wouldn't allow people to approach it because they remembered his teaching. He said he was going to be raised on the third day. So my question is, why weren't they all standing outside the tomb? Why weren't they all waiting? The only people that went to the tomb were going there to do what? Bury him. Finish the burial process. It's as though they didn't really believe it. They didn't expect it. And I wonder how much you have struggled like I have when you've thought... I sing the songs. I celebrate it. But is it more of a hope? Uh, and by hope, I mean, I- I'd like it to work out that way. Or is it a confident certainty? Is it an expectation? Is it something that hits you that you causes you to celebrate like that? What I love about the different accounts of the resurrection is, get this, for every individual, it became personal at a different moment. For Mary, she had her moment where she would cry out, Rabboni. For the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they had their moment where it would finally hit them. And they would say, "Wasn't our hearts weren't our hearts burning within us while we walked with him? Thomas had his moment. When finally he would fall to his knees and cry out, my Lord and my God. Peter was the best one, right? Peter has his moment when he's out fishing. And when he recognizes the Messiah, he it says it's weird. He throws his clothes on, jumps in the water, and swims to shore. It hits him. This is a reality for me. This is life changing. There's a story. I'm going to take us to our text in 1 Corinthians 15 in just a moment. but um, um, there's a story that's told it's actually a super ancient story. It comes actually from the Babylonian Talmud, but I'm going to give you a modern version of it. Um, a man is walking with his friend in King Supers <laughs> they're shopping together and and um, he says, "I'm going to go over here now. I'm going to get some things." Uh, get, And he runs into death. he just all of a sudden bumps into death. And death turns and he just sees this horribly gnarled, twisted face. Wide eyes and a shriek of horror. And he runs from death as fast as he can. And he runs to his friend on the other aisle and says, I'm out. I'm running. I'm not going to let him catch me. He says, who? And he says, Death. I just saw him on the other aisle, man. He ran into him. He's coming for me. Um, and he scared me. And so I'm, I'm taking off. And he, he committed that he was going to be the first man in history to run away from death and to escape his, his grip. And so he made his journey. He said, tonight I'm going to get on the fastest plane I can find. I'm going to a place where he's never going to find me. In fact, I'm going, I'm going to make it, if it's possible, all the way. To Italy, I don't know. We call some random place. It's far side of the earth. I'm going to get there by tonight. I'm going to make it to Rome. And if possible, I'm going to try to get there by 6 o'clock in the morning. And there's no way he'll catch me. Meanwhile, his friend got really upset with death. He said, why would he do that to my friend? So he went over to him and he confronted death and King Supers walks up to death and he says, why did you do that to my friend? Why did you scare him the way you did? And death responds, scare him, startle him. I'm the one that was scared. I'm the one that was startled. I don't understand how it's possible that he's here right now. I have a meeting with him tonight in Rome. I love that story, man, because it's actually an ancient story, but I love the message. I love the message, man, trying to escape death. Try to do what you can in your life to pretend like it's not a reality. And you live in its shadow, constantly. You live in its shadow. No man escapes death. And Nathan's thoughts this morning, I'm actually going to draw a lot from him. I got super emotional. I felt embarrassed about it in Steve's class. Uh, because, you know, it's supposed to be a science class. We're talking about Genesis 1. And I was getting emotional because that's what my mind does is I'm always thinking, what is the God's teaching here? What does this mean for me? And Nathan was so right in his comments when he said, man, the, the Old Testament is so weird. It's a story about God creating the heavens and the earth in six days. Then it's a story about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Then it's a story about the exodus from Egypt. Okay, great. Then it's a story, well, I missed Noah's Ark. A guy gets on a ship and he's saved through a flood. Then you go to a story about, and you know these stories, the Tower of Babel. Um, but they're random stories that we try to draw teachings from, but we're not sure. But they seem so random, especially Leviticus, especially Deuteronomy. Ooh, and then in Christ, I did Nathan's who I, I, and, and then in Christ he comes and he breathes meaning, and he makes sense out of all those stories. That is why Paul in Galatians one, I believe this that is why he went to the Arabah that's why he went out to the middle of the desert for years before he even talked to people about Christ. He went to that region really is where Sinai was, and most scholars believe he went to Sinai. Because he had to rethink his own relationship with God's word. And when you get to Genesis 1, and these kinds of passages, it's Jeff's story, and it's your story. He created you. And you were formless and void. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And your life, regardless of what accomplishments you have, Regardless of what rings you have on your finger, what degrees you have, and what you've done in this life, whether you've come up with a cure for cancer or AIDS, life is meaningless because death has the amen. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. That's what happened on Easter morning. God spoke light into this world again. He spoke hope. He spoke resurrection. Some verses, um, forget the Colossians 2, that's a mistake at the bottom, but John 5, Romans 6, 1 John 3, and there's several more. Look at how often this language is used in the New Testament. Whoever hears my word and believes him has crossed over from death to life. He actually says this past tense. This has already happened. Romans 6, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. First John 3, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. This idea of passing from death to life was the mantra. That was what the early church was built on. You remember this? Have you heard this? The early greeting that Christians used to greet one another? This was a common greeting. The Lord is risen. And they would respond, He's risen indeed. And that's how you would greet one another. The Lord is risen. He's risen indeed. Because it's everything I am and everything that I live for is based on that morning. And they came there that morning, and this is what blows my mind. They came there that morning, expecting to bury Him. And in every man's heart, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 15 in just a minute. In every man's heart, there's a tomb. I believe this. There's a tomb, and either I believe Jesus is dead and he's buried, and there's darkness, or there is a resurrected Christ in me—something that I've experienced, something that I believe is a reality, something that is worth living for. This is First Corinthians 15, and, and I, I want to, you know, kind of give you these words of caution before we get into this chapter. I love it that in both Steve's class and Carrie's class, they both started their classes with the same point. Guys, we're going to disagree on some things, okay? Let let that be known, we're going to disagree. The church has to learn to disagree in a godly manner. Uh, that is so important for the church today. 1 Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection. And this is a chapter I used to be scared to talk about because I got confronted in such a serious way on this chapter about eight years ago. One of my teachers, okay, so somebody who I really look up to and am scared to let down, was so upset with what I believed and taught on 1 Corinthians 15 that he flew to Austin, Texas to confront me about it. And it was because I didn't believe and I don't believe that your resurrection body is this exact body. And he said, but you have to believe that. And I was like, I'm pretty sure 1 Corinthians 15 says it's definitely not this body. Um, But we had this confrontation about that. And I was like, who cares? I just want to know that I'm with God and in Christ. I have no clue what my body's going to be like. I don't care if it's this body or not. Now, Jesus' resurrection body had flesh and bones. He says that. It had scars. He says that too. So if it's if it, if it that is the resurrection body, I'm going to get into this for a minute. If that's the resurrection body, then I'm sorry if you don't have legs and arms, you keep your scars. But that's not the point of Jesus' resurrection. And the body that you're seeing, you could talk about it eating. You could talk about it passing through walls if that's what happens. All the things people try to glean from the resurrection account. The truth is, I think he was resurrected in the flesh simply to manifest the fact that God has conquered death once for all. As far as what the resurrection body is, 1 Corinthians 15 teaches what I believe is true. We don't have a clue. I don't have any idea. But I'm going to show you something super powerful from this chapter that draws from Jesus' resurrection. Someone may ask, I'm beginning in verse 35, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you don't plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of weed or something else, but God gives it a body as he determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and stars differ from stars in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. And just these last few verses here, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam A life-giving spirit. What, What it's saying here is this. Adam became the father of... Well, whatever this is supposed to mean, Adam became the father of mortality. Adam became the father of humanity. Life, but life that would end. Christ became the father of just the opposite. Life that would be life. That would well up into life. And it goes on and says this. As was the earthly man, in verse 48, so are those who are of the earth. And as the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. God's worked on my heart on this chapter because I've always had the mentality, I've made fun of the church and myself for celebrating our mansions in heaven too much. And thinking, man, it sounds so materialistic. It sounds like We're talking about, hey, what is God going to give me? It's going to be me and my family, my mansion, my hot tub, everything that He's going to prepare for me. And a lot of us are like, I don't care about all that stuff. I just want. I want to be in my God's presence. That's all I really want. And that's so true. Uh, That's all I really care for. That's all I really want. What does it matter what my house is like? I'm not going there, I'm staying outside. But then I realized what 1 Corinthians 15 is saying, and it's something very beautiful. And it gives this analogy. I brought my Easter lily here for this. Um, That this Easter lily um, began as as this ugly, nasty little, um, what do you call these things? It's not a seed, right? It's a bulb. It it started as these bulbs, which I have no luck with. I planted ten of these, and not one came up. But this nasty little bulb, planted in the ground, taking care of dead, gone, forgotten, somehow becomes this. Somehow becomes something entirely different, something entirely beautiful, something altogether different than what it was. First Corinthians 15 comes and he says this, this is what you were. And the crazy thing about my hopes for resurrection is, man, I sure hope I get this back. Isn't that what we do? I, I sure hope I get this back. And God is like, you have no clue what I've prepared for you. You have no clue what's ahead, and it's not for your glory. But it kind of is. It's not for you. It's not for your wealth. It's not for any of this stuff. But this is what I've designed you to be. And this is what's so incredible to me, so amazing to me, as I get older. Um. Yeah, I destroyed my shoulder last year, and I don't think it's ever coming back. I, 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 a lot of you are going through this stuff. My eyesight's going, not yet, but I hope not. My eyesight's going, my hearing is going. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm saying when my hearing's going. Um, all of this is going, my body is going, all of these things, and you're like, I'm never getting that back. I'm never, and I was like, earlier this year, I was talking trash to, to a friend, and it was probably John Mann or somebody who was trying to get me out to play soccer, and I was like, "Man, I'm not in shape to play soccer right now." But let me get in shape. I'll be back. And inside, I was thinking, "Who am I kidding, man? I'm never gonna, be, I'm never getting out of doing that stuff like I used to again, ever." And you feel like, "Man, this is going." And God is like, 1 Corinthians 15 says, "Are you kidding me? When you were 24 years old, you were just a bulb." Nothing compared to what God has designed for you to be. In the resurrection of Christ, he comes to bring us that promise. I love you. I love you enough to give you life. And I love you enough to give you rebirth. Now when that truth, and I've seen it come alive in so many of you, and I pray you've seen it come alive in me. When that truth becomes a reality in your life, not just a doctrine, not just something you sing about, but when it becomes a reality, you are able to grow old and celebrate that you're a bulb. You're able to grow old and celebrate the fact that God has laid up something so much greater than this. And whatever a sunrise service is like in heaven, whatever this is, when you stand there and you're able to look at a grave and watch the sun rise on the other side of it, Man, God has wisdom in that imagery. And he says, I have something so much more prepared for you. I want to share a poem for you that, that was written by um, Adri um, Watson. And we shared this on a Wednesday night. She shared it, um, but I think I have her permission to share it this morning. At least I was texted that I do. These are her words I'm broken, I'm beat. I'm tired. I'm vulnerable. I'm weak. I'm small. I'm thrown aside. I'm weary. I am finished. Jesus, you were all of these things. You know what it means to feel pain. Lord, you know you were broken. You were beat. You were tired. You were vulnerable. You were made weak and you were made small. You were thrown aside. You were weary. And you said, It's finished. Then you rose. And now you are king. You are beautiful. You are magnificent. You are tremendous. You are wonderful. You are awesome. You are mighty. You are strong. You are fearless. God, you have created me and you have shown me what it means to be like you. I am beautiful. I am magnificent. I am tremendous. I am wonderful. I am awesome. I am mighty. I am strong. I am fearless. Thank you, God, for making me like you. Thank you for allowing me to breathe and live another day. May all my days be lived for you. And may my words be spoken for you. May your wondrous creation cry out, Father, thank you. The reason we celebrate... The resurrection of Jesus Christ. I celebrate it, I pray daily. Is because this image of a bulb that would become something incredibly beautiful, something so much more, Christ wanted us to see in his resurrection that he wasn't simply the God that conquered the demons, that conquered the waves, that ultimately conquered death. He's the one that conquered it on our behalf. He's the one that conquered it for us and so that I can sing by a grave a song of incredible victory. Um, I praise God for this. I want to close in a prayer of blessing over you. But uh, I think about this and I was praying about it this morning and I was really thinking about it when Nathan was talking how true it is that there is a life in Jeff A.D. and a life B.C. Um. And I've had that moment so many times in my life, that Abba, Father, my Lord and my God kind of moment. But I'm so excited when I sit around and I think about um, my friends that, I've, that have already gone on, the friends that are still alive that I'll never see again. And I've thought a lot about, man, in 100 years, totally different people will be sitting in this auditorium if it still stands. A totally different guy will be standing up here and this is all going to be gone, every bit of it. And I think about how true and how real and how beautiful it is that we will still be singing. We're still going to be alive. And I truly do believe that. And so we're celebrating not just Jesus' resurrection today. We're celebrating the resurrection of him in our own hearts. And that's why we worship. That's why we sing. Let's, let's go to him in prayer. Our Father, I just want to come before you. And uh, celebrate you today. God, that somehow through an empty tomb somewhere in the Middle East, in a vague, insignificant part of the world, in an insignificant time, you transformed time, history, and millions and millions of lives even that are across the world today. I we celebrate you. I celebrate, Father, that, um, that there's so much more than this life. Uh, There's so much more that you've prepared for us, and so we celebrate our own future, we celebrate our own resurrection because of what Christ did. Thank you for giving us this family, and I ask your blessing over this body this next year. I pray, God, that you'd give us the wisdom to live a resurrected life, Uh, like all these verses have said, to live as those who have been brought from death to life. It's in Christ we come before you. Amen. Let's stand and worship our God together.